Episode 3. Tonight I've got some notes and a few places I want to get to. Kind of a mixed bag. Um, I'm going to start off by uh, reading you guys a list of some potential guest ideas. Um, Some of them are pretty much locked up. Easier easier to lock up than some of these others. Um, And in no particular order. We have James LaFond, who I think is I'd say an 8 out of 10 certainty. Um, I've interacted with James before. I've read some of his books and he did a, a couple of posts in review for King of Dogs that were favorable. And um, if you don't know, you know, if you're not familiar with James, very singular character. I believe he's from Baltimore. I don't, I, at least that's where you know, most of his, his writing is based, I, I guess he's um, native to that place, and he travels around, he's, he, I think he's got kind of a circuit, seasonal circuit, um, but he is right in, in the thick of it, um, not terribly chock full of resources, and I think that's partly this is my reading into it, you know, I think that's part of the way that he stays pure, um, but a fascinating guy, um, and widely respected in, in certain circles, for sure, and I think it's well-deserved, um, his nonfiction stuff is, mm, scorching, maybe not necessarily sentence to sentence, but the, the way that he's thinking about the world and uh, history in particular is um, he's got some hot takes we'll say that and his fighting acumen is um, in his particular niche yeah, I mean it seems to me not being a world class um, machete fighter myself it seems to me to be kind of unmatched. And um, so you have this uh, dual, dual-sided character who on the one hand is uh, very contemplative and thoughtful, and then you have, you know, and that bleeds into the other side, but there's 
you know, a fair, uh, strong familiarity with um, the brutal side of things. Um, anyway, we'll go into that more. Um, Sam Finlay, who you guys might know, um, I've interacted with a little bit online. He's got a great book called um, Breakfast with the Dirt Cult. He was a soldier and um, very sharp and um, maybe you know we could uh, we could talk writing as well as I'd be curious to know you know how his life has has what turns it's taken uh, since he put that book out um, independent independently published I believe um, but again very sharp guy with um, a foot in in both camps if you will Michael Hoffman I mentioned Michael Hoffman, and I am currently, not right this second, but I'm in the multi-stage process of digging through my storage unit to find um, my copy of Secret Societies and uh, Psychological Operations, which I have read uh, maybe five, eight times, I don't know. And um, I found my copy of Twilight Language. So um, I'll go over that. Mr. Hoffman, I believe, was um, a reporter for either the Associated Press or Reuters, something like this. And um, I know very little. I think the Internet knows very little about, you know, his early years. I know he located himself long ago in the panhandle of Idaho and um, he may or may not make a living from his writing I'm not sure I know he has a lot of kids and he's a very devout Christian I'm not sure what denomination he is but um, he takes it seriously which I can respect and um, in terms of his, those two books, I've said it before, and I hope to say it again, that for me anyway, uh, the first one, Secret Societies and Psychological Operations, or Psychological Warfare, I can never remember, was uh, like a pivotal uh, book, because... And I, I'm going to go into a little bit more depth here because I think that I'd, if you guys are interested in it, a, a full review, explication, exegesis from my point of view uh, might be instructive because he's essentially espousing a conspiratorial world worldview, but a, a highly developed. Um, one with a highly developed historical basis, very well thought through, and um, yeah, it wouldn't I, I wouldn't do ju do it justice right now. Uh, but similar, you know, to to Twin Peaks, um, in several. I mean, I've already made this connection, but another connection is 
I watched, you know, that first episode of Twin Peaks. I believe I was a freshman in high school, and I watched it. I might have been a sophomore, I don't recall. I think I skipped parts of the second season like most people did because it started to sort of veer off into... um, I don't think David Lynch was at the helm. Um, But I do recall the moment there where Laura Palmer basically tells the audience and I think Dale Cooper um, you know I'll see you in 25 years and then I guess it's a credit to everybody involved you know uh, even Showtime which is probably not uh, a, a great friend to to humanity um, you take my meaning However, uh, I think it's ultimately, you know, it's a testament to David Lynch, who is one of the few creative geniuses, legitimate, who, um, who also got a shot uh, in the mainstream, you know, say in the past, whatever, 20, 30 years. And... Um, the fact that he tied that together and he actually showed up again with season three 25 years later is the is still it just adds to the gravitas of the whole project to say nothing of his commitment um, how much importance it must have played in all of the actors and writers and the other players lives those first couple seasons and then those two movies um, how much they admire David Lynch how could you not um, yeah there's a few things that, that I would disagree on with David Lynch of course and you too but um, anyway he's another guy who uh, you know might be very much worthwhile to spend some time with like a full episode or a half episode. But anyway, uh, similarly, Michael Hoffman, that first book came out in, I guess, 2001, and I think it preceded The Fall of the Towers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it did. And uh, 20 years later, um, he shows up with kind of this... It's It doesn't have the tone at all of Like I Told You So... However, he did tell us so. And this is this, to me, this uh, sort of points to a recurring theme, a longevity, you know, a commitment, consistency. Like I said, with with Lynch or, or, you know, suggested, there's probably political stuff or whatever that I wouldn't, want to go into with him probably same with um, Hoffman I know he's got some some odd takes on uh, orthodoxy and uh, Catholicism but he's got some takes that are pretty pretty irrefutable so it gets into the weeds similar with the politics um, I plan on doing some type of caveat in hopefully the first official episode um, that can, I'll probably have to write it out, but hopefully it will summarize 
um, my my point of view on the ideology, you know, which real quick, I don't think that most of us are, I think that as I've said previously already, you know, we're so sapped of energy, so full of Dunning-Kruger uh, and, and the, uh, the suite of um, related kind of dysfunction that, you know, I'm probably wrong. I'm certainly wrong. Uh, friends and family um, that I disagree with, I mean, yeah, I know they're wrong, but um, they're probably right about some stuff too. And somehow, I'm not making it my goal to be a peacekeeper necessarily, but, um, you know, much has been said from various voices that, well, we just need to talk in this country, or we just, where we just need to get divorced in this country. Well, I'm not getting divorced from anything, um, and I am of the opinion that, um, I think I keep hitting the mic, I will, I'll try to stop doing that, but, um, I'm of the opinion that, you know, the, the, the course is charted, and it was never really up for debate, um, this is absolutely a dialectic, and, of course we fall one side or another a little bit, um, and I've got some notes here to talk about, you know, some Portland and some yoga stuff, uh, which maybe I'll go back into this. But um, anyway, way off track here. Michael Hoffman is, the point there was, you know, I think a very important uh, sort of figure, totally underappreciated, maligned, shit-canned by everybody, you know, in um, in New York or wherever publishing LA they wouldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole yet this guy can think and write and the the level of depth that into which he is able to peer is um, almost without um, comparison in, in present day so I'll reach out to him and see he seems to be you know a little reclusive which is understandable the next guy, Paul Sharp, we talked about him. I think he's amenable. I've not discussed it with him yet. Um, we've already kind of gone into his background a little bit. Quintus Curtis is a guy that I happened upon through Twitter. And I'm not, um, I'm not certain, you know, that he would be interested. However, I think he's got some stuff that's, that you know that I would like to know more about um, some takes on on death, which is we've touched on that. I've got a post that I'm working on uh, related to what I call death work, breath work, and death work. But um, Curtis comes from a very uh, scholarly background. I believe he's a lawyer. Uh, he went to MIT, and um, I think he's. He's somehow sort of dually operating in both uh, maybe Brazil and Kansas. But, um, oh, which reminds me, I had a request uh, to bring the Warhorse diesel back in. So it's back in and it feels good.
I'll have to work on that for you. Okay, so uh, Quintus Curtis, he's he's a translator. I, I believe he speaks, or at least writes, um, a couple of of ancient languages. As well, he's he seems to be a guy with um, a pretty strong head on his shoulders and a pretty strong sense of direction and fairness and ethics. Um, so he he may or may not. I've interacted with him again online. Uh, next, Ed Calderon. This guy has got to be has got to be accessed because. Um, As alluded to in King of Dogs, you know, one way that I uh, imagine the future of America shaping up is uh, just much like Mexico. I don't, I don't know if you know if that came across in the book. It was sort of a poetic um, moment, not necessarily something I wanted to beat the reader over the head with. However. You know, there's there's so many differences to this country that, uh, and not never mind the fact that Mexico itself and the cartels already have a substantial, um, some might say enormous influence on events here. I don't think it's quite enormous, but if you're familiar with the work of Catherine Austin Fitz, who was a um, former head of uh, HUD or an assistant deputy, some some high office in the federal government. Um, and then she, she was like an investment broker. And I think she went back to that um, in a more kind of philanthropic or charitable um, manner. She, uh, you know, back in the days, some of you might recall a dude named Michael Cooper, or Michael Rupert, excuse me, Michael Rupert. Um, that's where I heard of um, Catherine Austin Fitz. And even then, and then still now, you know, she's doing this fantastic work on uh, showing how money flows. Like, if you imagine the giant currents underneath uh, the ocean, you know, that seems to be how money sort of works. There's you know, uh, drops and trickles that we have access to, and then there are these massive currents that are actually moving the course of, of history. So, um, one of the you know ways that money moves is is the laundering of drug money and the um, maybe not the total control, but um, enough control to direct all of that cash um, you know whether it was in Colombia in the 80s or uh, Mexico of late you're talking about like 500 to 500 billion to a trillion dollars a year if you think that um, that's just gonna well I guess you know uh, we're just gonna let that slide no I don't think so and um, that's kind of uh, her expertise. Ed, Ed's manifesto on Instagram, I think, 
he's been tentative to to approach anything like that you know which is fine I would I would not necessarily want to go into that and I'm not um, entirely current on um, on his latest output what I uh, kind of latched onto with him though was his you know DIY for lack of a better term or um, you know maybe it's just a Mexican approach to things uh, and he, you know he, we mentioned I think we mentioned this in the first episode uh, the criminal of purpose and this relates of course to the phenomenon of uh, the phenomena of Bronze Age pervert and sort of the future that he sees for um, those of us who who might find ourselves oppressed in one way or another. And um, I think Ed is pretty hip to some stuff that, I mean, I think it's entirely understandable that that guy's very careful about what he what he admits to or puts out there or in man I don't know I don't know I don't think I could handle that type of um, constant pressure but I think that you know maybe I'm I'm reading in too much as well but he's a fantastic wealth of knowledge super creative super capable 10 years of fighting what to me seems like probably the most serious um you know, quote, war, even though I don't know if it was ever officially labeled a war. I mean, if he's going through doors when, you know, tomahawks chopping people's heads off and seeing, you know, thousands of mass graves or thousands of bodies in, in at a time in mass graves um, and come through, I know there again, I mean, you think there's some PTSD and some central nervous stuff that um, he might want to share or, you know, go into. I, I think so. I think, too, he's special in the sense that he, similar to Paul Sharp, he's not one-dimensional at all. Um, the guy might be a marketing genius as well. I I, I don't... I, I was there at the beginning when um, he was just working with Tad Gear and a couple others, and... Um, pretty meteoric rise well deserved on all counts based you know strictly on his experience and his expertise um but also moving through the social outlets the guy like redefined um what was possible i suppose magpole came before and had and um what was that oh noveski um you know they added some I guess I would say, you know, similar to what I'm advocating, we're going to talk about this in a little bit with yoga and breath work, these guys as well just yanked back uh, some of the imagery, some of the flexibility, the artistry, if you will, from the hands of the culturally dominant left and just said, fuck that. They, I don't even think, um, at Ed anyway, you know, maybe his unique point of view um, being right there on the border, speaking really good English, but identifying as a Mexican, maybe he just saw right through that. 
one of the big, 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 big issues I, I um, observe on a daily basis is this hesitancy or, you know, it's the mold again. It's this is my lane. These are the things that I'm good at. That other stuff is um, for them. However, whatever pejorative label, you know, comes after the comma in that sentence there, etc. And I don't think that's a winning strategy. I think that's stupid. And I think the, the, when we do get to Hoffman or I can get a chance to go deeper, you know, the uh, egregore, the, the sort of demonic aggregation of sin embodied in a tribe, clan of people, you know, this is in the, um, the Old Testament as well, a similar sort of phenomenon, uh, we gotta, we gotta stop that, and it's, it's, it's just waiting, it's just sitting there on the table, nobody's even guarding it, if you look at this, I'm sure you guys, I didn't look at it beyond the little clips that were posted, um, to Instagram, but this, uh, douche guy, um, Colbert, um, and his, his dance number, you know, it's, it's sad. It's pathetic. Um, they weren't all that funny, actually. I grew up in an era where you had guys like Eddie Murphy, um, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Cheech and Chong, you know, the list goes on and on. And it seems to me to just be giant step down, giant step down, giant step, to the point where somebody like Stephen Colbert is actually um, a force to be reckoned with on the cultural landscape, you know, that's hard to take. Anyway, so Ed Calderon, and then lastly, all but locked up, um, I have a good friend from childhood who spent a lot of years on the street in I think up and down the west coast and you know I don't I don't I don't want to make it real personal I will say highly intelligent guy um like anything you want to throw at him from math to art both sides of the brain and um a giant heart as well just a you know great athlete um not such a great student because he was just bored out of his mind like most of us were um i gotta work on my ums too so we're gonna we're gonna address that so i appreciate you sticking with me on those um there we go again alex is his name and you know i'll talk with him about how much information he wants to give out uh he has similar to Ed, a, a whole treasure trove of tips and tricks, tactics, because the guy is alive, he made it out, and he paid for it dearly, uh, so some of that knowledge, I believe, deserves to be imparted. We'll, we'll go more into into him when it comes. Another friend, also 
very high, high intelligence uh, and an excellent student, an excellent athlete. I've known him for like 20 years, I think, and a long haul trucker, 20 years. I think he's pushing 2 million miles over the road. One of the most well-read people that I know, um, very well-rounded in terms of his intellectual achievements. You imagine 20 years on the road with audiobooks and then spending most of his time, his free time reading and watching movies and similar. This is a guy who I think has a very unique point of view right now. You know, truckers tend to see things before the rest of us. He's on the backside of the functional part of civil society and uh, that could be really interesting. And last on the list, uh, somebody who is very, very close to me and I would say is, if not a master sort of uh, herbalist right on the cusp and also a very experienced, you know, doomsteader, uh, homestead, farmstead, lifestyle, orthodox, homeschooler, the whole package. And there were there was some feedback in the comments and in email that this might be an angle to take. And her unique um, contribution is that, you know, back to the, the cultural divide, she's not divided. Uh, similar to myself, she's sought to not be stuffed into those boxes and not um, consider it off limits, even though maybe her politics or religion or what what have you deviate. And I say this, you you know, guys may not understand, but the naturopathic, the um, the holistic, Weston A. Price, all of it seemed to me when back in Portland in like the '90s that this stuff was apolitical. It was just a question of how deeply had you looked into the medical apparatus. Uh, Fast becoming appropriate to describe this as uh, the medical control arm of the technocracy. This was obvious to many, many people back before Portland became the hellhole that it is now. And it was more about, like, rebellion. It was more, I had more of a flavor of that, that classical liberal who stood for, you know, essentially the Constitution. Certainly freedom of speech. What do we have now? This is the point. We don't know what we have now. These are not, you know, liberalism may very well in a philosophical sense lead to this outcome. That's not going to be argued tonight. 
we're talking about the same human beings in a lot of cases, in maybe most of the cases that have run up against um, a wall of cognitive dissonance or they're just fading so hard that these observations such as, uh, you know, my body, my choice, but only for my body. I think this is a common thing, observation going around right now. That's, uh, that's I've talked to, uh, you know, Biden supporters and, and the like, and that's actually an observation that's just, yeah, well, fuck it this time. So, um, anyway, that's kind of the end of uh, the list. If you guys have other suggestions, I would very much appreciate it. The design I have in mind for this uh, the show, this podcast, is, you know, eventually these monologues will require uh, more, more study. Even now, you know, kind of organizing my thoughts is, which I've not done before. So, again, I appreciate the support and get, getting through this with me. Um, but that might get a little stale. You know, I could tell you personal stuff. I can I can go into stories in particular, but I'm not, you know, I'm humble enough or or what, what whatever you want to call it to say. At some point, you know, you're gonna want to listen to someone else's take, and so so do I. So um, that's to say, I imagine maybe a shorter monologue um, section. A dialogue section, um, maybe not quite a la, you know, um, Mr. Verveke, but high level. And then the maybe the unique twist that I would like to experiment with and see how it works at least is to return uh, with either another guest or perhaps just a monologue commentary on what we listen to. Uh, my intention would be, would be to avoid adversarial sort of stuff. You know, that's uh, part of the ethic that I live my life by. I'm very capable with, with weapons and defending myself. Um, but, you know, back to Craig Douglas and more experienced guys than myself, the avoidance um, of all of this stuff. I mean, back to Sun Tzu, right? Um, suggests so it looks to be not only the right path in from an ethical point of view. Most times, not all times. I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination, but um, the nature of modern conflict makes it such the litigious side the, um, the 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 purely unfair uh, justice no longer being blind component that isn't necessarily new but it's uh, sure coming into sharp focus now to say nothing of um, you know most of the time having studied a little bit of uh, communication theory and uh, negotiation, 
most of the time these things kind of indicate a failure on somebody or both parties parts um, and um, that's kind of a you know a tonal issue or um, preference of mine so again if you guys have some suggestions I'm sure you do I would I very much appreciate it and um, if you want to make them aware of these episodes or you think that I should reach out directly to them either way is just fine okay moving on I had um, found this post by an account called Prepare to Perform. I've um, shared some of their posts before. I don't know if it's, I think it's a guy. And um, very, very well put, I thought, was the following. Dually innervated by both the vagus nerve and the phrenic nerves, the diaphragm is quite literally the bridge between the mind and the body. The vagus is the tenth cranial nerve and is sometimes called the pneumogastic nerve because it sends information from the digestive and respiratory systems to the brain. The phrenic nerves are the direct cognitive link, link to respiration. The phrenic nerve exits the spine from the third through the fifth cervical spine, I think he means vertebra, and provides direct motor control over the diaphragm. The vagal autonomic feedback loop is constantly monitoring our state and making adjustments based on the needs of our external environment, so much so that that the respiratory system is making adjustments in every breath and every heartbeat to coordinate our every energetic need and even the anticipation of those needs. Even the anticipation of those needs. Back to this idea that we don't really think. How much of what we're doing has been automated and then that automation has been contorted to conform to the the reservation that we're on or the giant cattle lot that we're in. The mold. Over time, these signals get entrained into a continuum of acceptable parameters based on behavioral repetition in order to save energy over the long haul. So how would that instinct or design be... um, how, how, you know, what is its state after those 10,000 hours of being basically seated and then we ring the bell, you, you walk down or run down and do it again, then you go home and you sit in front of the television, maybe you had a practice like me, uh, sports or something, and then you're right back to the sedentary. The epigenetic component um, of childhood is... I don't, you know, it's, it couldn't be overstated. And if that's in question, how about the, the swing in one year from, I believe it was like 36, 
of kids are obese in America to now, after a year of lockdowns, 45. Pushing almost half of kids below age 14 or 13, I think, are not just overweight, they are obese. Okay, moving on with this post. Automaticity is designed to save energy, but at some point we may decide that we want to think, react, or feel differently in certain situations or environments, and that's where we can influence our own psychophysiology through breath control. The diaphragm itself has very few sensory proprioceptors, so learning to direct its motion is challenging at first. True. However, a little bit of practice and a baseline of skill can be achieved that has life-altering potential. True. You can quite literally divert the deep functions of the autonomic nervous system and thusly how you react to stress. That's important. Uh, it improves digestive function and helps manage pressure more succinctly so that efficient... Po- this sentence needs some work, but I think he's saying it can improve uh, your posture and movement. Absolutely true. That's what we're leading into is this little discussion on yoga and posture. He finishes up uh, saying, essentially, when we take control over our breath mechanics... What we are doing is using muscular control over the diaphragm to consciously direct a central part of our deep physiology. If we apply ourselves to developing a very basic level of breath skill, we can insert these skills into any environment where we want to change our behavior. And I would extend that to say, if you change your behavior, you are changing the environment. Whether you're talking about the social or the physical. So, I follow this person. I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. I've just noticed that they have some pretty high-quality content, and I thought that this um, went well with this ongoing discussion of breath work, which will, you know, lead to the next phase, which is death work. Um, and then, as you know, as one um, very much appreciated commenter pointed it out I guess he was suggesting wisely you know that we'll um, we'll lighten things up a little bit um, when the time comes so in the breath post on Patreon I mentioned you know 20 some years of yoga Uh, I got the certification to teach though I never really had any um desire to to teach I just wanted to go deeper on um, on the topic and um, that training definitely provided that Uh, that was a leg up I've taken classes in many different states I've taken uh, classes in I think all of the different styles and I've arrived at the conclusion that heated Vinyasa um, has the most benefit for you know the person in the middle of their life who is working towards uh, like advanced level of health, and I'm saying that because that might change you know as I get older. I 
I kind of doubt it, but um, apparently some of the other schools are, are pretty good for like more of a therapeutic approach. Um, I tend to think that that uh, and this you know starting to dovetail into the death work stuff. I tend to think that that actually begins now and that if you've gotten to the point where you're having major hip problems due to postural and muscular distortions, you know, and you're 60, 70 years old, I guess you could take some human growth hormone or something, and, and but you need juice. You know, you need vitality to put into it. And you have that. I think most of, of the listeners now are, are less than, you know, under 50. And if you're in good shape at 50, you still have plenty, plenty, plenty of vitality that you can redirect. You know, if you look at it as, if you imagine it as fuel and where are you burning it, you can burn it uh, by building more strength. If you ever look at photos of like the Old West mountain men or you read descriptions of them, we'll take one who is one of my major heroes in life, Jim Bridger. The descriptions physically of him were that he was sinewy, six feet tall, you know, piercing stare, you know, clearly gifted at like probably levels that we can't even fathom. Um, but he, he was not a slight man, though Kit Carson is described, I think, as kind of slight. And the photos, I think, depict him least it appears that he's a little bit less mm, maybe capable of movement or uh, you know vitality what have you than Jim Bridger but both of these guys if you drop them into a modern context I don't think that they would you know I mean, they could make the cut. I mean, can you imagine special forces turning down those guys? Like, what what planet are you on? I mean, what what is the standard here? Just being buff. I don't tend to. I got to be careful with the words here. I work out. I lift. You know, um, sometimes seven times a week. I've lifted since high school, um, can bench, you know, more than twice my body weight, um, maybe not today, but at some point, various points I have been able to. And so weight training is, in my opinion, essential. And I also think that yoga is essential. Where I think some of the bro science is veering off a little bit into like psychological, reactionary sort of, um, you know, I don't know, compensation in some cases, is 
I mean, massive amounts of effort have to be put in, not to mention the supplements and the diet and whatever to sustain that. And it's literally not sustainable unless you have the supply lines in place. Or, you know, maybe you have your doomstead and at that point, you, you've also become an herbalist and a butcher, um, master food, you've mastered food preservation of all sorts. Most of the people that I've met who've gotten that far, you know, start to have to divert their energy into other places. And so I'm not bagging on, if you want to work, you know, to get huge, go for it. My opinion, what I do for myself is split down the middle, geared totally towards endurance. I recall, I don't listen to a lot of David Goggins. I've seen, I don't follow him or anything, but I saw one clip where he was discussing one of his ultra marathon achievements, which are astonishing, I admit. And he said that the training essentially involved nothing as far as running. He didn't run at all. He just did super high reps with very low weight, which makes a lot of sense um, if you've ever done uh, those types of routines. Just a little detour there. So similarly, um, and you know, I don't know that I have many lefty friends remaining, like probably you guys, but I, I think, I, you know, I have acquaintances and I have a few and people that I need to engage with here or there. And in the event that, you know, one of them were to ask me my opinion about things, I don't go around sharing my opinion about things unless asked. I would tell them that they they need to get over the idea that weapons are are dangerous and to be shunned that that they should immediately go and put resources and time towards getting really good with guns i imagine that everybody listening to this has no problem with that side of it we'll see and similarly you know to the rural man to uh the right winger or whatever you know these cat if you let's put it this way if you have found yourself outside um and you know the mold if we want to go there has impressed upon you this idea that certain things are off limits or tainted or the culture is toxic of course that might be true i mean with many things that's absolutely true in my experience of 20 years having done it in various states and um, achieved a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty high level of competency, and it's not really a fair assessment. One, if, when you go into a yoga studio, you do not need to say a word. In fact, um, I probably said, I believe this is in the post as well, I probably said less than 10 words to anybody in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of classes um, it's just not part of the thing people kind of hang out sometimes afterwards if there's somebody you want to talk to there great 
if there's not and you're on a mission, you're on your mission, just blow out of there. Nobody gives a shit. They're just there to take your money. And more to the point is if you are leading you know, your life and making those types of choices, um, you're not going to be stopping to you know, see if you're stepping on anybody's toes. Just keep your mouth shut and you're fine. Um, so, you know, in this, in the sense, like we have this cultural divide, it's probably, I'm not saying it's going to be repaired, but I'm saying there's people that deserve to, to get their hands on whatever tools and techniques and the information, which is like this classical liberal thing. Like, yeah, that, that stuff should be free. We should be free to go wherever we want. And more and more and more, that's the uh, that's where the walls are starting to move inward, right? Limiting your movement. I don't advertise any of this stuff. I, I mean, I'm advertising it now, I suppose, in a way. But um, nobody has ever questioned me on the seeming contradiction between you know carrying concealed and then setting that thing aside um, and going into the yoga class all the time like religiously almost every single day, seven days a week sometimes ten classes a week um, I don't think anybody probably ever knew um, this kind of activity if you will if you just looked at this as, um, I, you know, I don't like to, I would tell anybody to expand their horizons. Maybe that's what I'm going to about to, about to do anyway, but I don't necessarily mean it in that way. Cause I'm not saying just go out and try some lefty activities or, you know, go into the city and, and see how the, uh, the matcha tastes or whatever. I mean, I have vast experience in hipster locales, um, and I've never had a problem, and I've been armed and dangerous almost every step of the, of the way. And um, it seems to me that there's this reflection of an outer, you know, your behavior sort of reflects the inner state. Um, and again, there's times and stupid stuff to do. Maybe maybe right now is not the time to uh, venture into downtown Portland. And But I haven't been there. I think the reports are kind of ridiculous. Uh, I haven't been there in like two years. But, you know, again, I don't know. So you'd have to be smart. I could tell you where I have been, um, you know... Colorado, Montana, Arizona, the sort of intermountain area, I see no issues at all um, mingling with either, uh, you know, deep, deep, deep out in ranch land or right in the, in the pulsing rainbow-colored um, heart of the cities. So while that may or may not remain the, the condition of things, Part of breaking the mold 
is if you find yourself directed towards a thing that you need but you also find yourself sort of hesitant or uh, there may be good reason for that judgment is is uh, can be a harsh thing when you make the wrong judgment and so of course to use your best judgment I'm I'm trying to bring some of this stuff to an audience that may or may not have any experience with it so that's I'll leave that part uh, where it's at hopefully the point is clear that if you are you know approaching middle age or even if you're younger and all you're doing is uh, kettlebells and and martial arts super super applicable in many well not many but certain circumstances taking care of yourself with whatever is available makes a lot a lot of sense because you you need to take care of yourself every moment of every day you're only going to have to fight or pull a, pull a gun pull a knife under certain circumstances so in terms of building batman i i'll ask paul sharp um you know if he's i would bet bet you i will bet anybody a thousand dollars right now that he has gone to yoga if he's a practitioner you know i don't know um that may very well be the kind of thing where he dips in and out as he needs the guy is his whole life from the minute he wakes up and the to-do list for the next day when he goes to bed is structured around training um which i happen to admire a great deal and i've been lucky enough at certain points in my life to have lived a similar similar uh existence it's intensely rewarding i um i was you know giving bro jogan a hard time in one of the last podcasts however not all of that is envy i i can tell you specifically where i would i i disagree with the guy or you know where we part ways or whatever but he's a super sharp guy and he structured his life similarly in a way that is intensely rewarding for him he's got um that is a guy who i know does have a um a yoga practice and i happen to know paul sharp has a pretty highly developed breathwork practice so you know it's it's an element and yoga is an element so finally setting that aside the advocacy or or hopefully helping anybody who's who's hesitant to to check it out you know um just check it out but moving on i wanted to give you an example of what a great yoga teacher looks like because this is a part where you very well might think you know what Andy Edwards is right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go buy some shorts and a mat, and there's this yoga studio down in the strip mall, and I'm gonna check it out. So, congratulations on the first part. Um, 
I think that I can provide you a bit more direction in terms of refining it and because no teacher is the same as another. I went to this place called Core Power for like 10 years. Um, the price was right. The locations were right for where I was. The times of classes were right. Uh, you know, nice, clean studio, facilities, etc. Solid deal for like unlimited classes, which is what I've always got to shoot for. And the teachers, however, no teacher is the same. And so if you have an issue and you're going to do this and you're that guy, just email me the, you know, the website of the place or DM me and I will help you discern this because it's not entirely evident. Um, I'm trying to think of a great, you know, maybe it's like a gun store. Some gun stores have similar guns. You can get Glock 17, what have you, at just about any gun store. However, the guy behind the counter is going to... There's vast differences available to you. Um, you guys know this. So similarly, what I'm looking for in a great yoga teacher... Um, she probably won't listen to this. So I will just call her, I'll just call her first name, Claudia. Um, in terms of, you know, the basics of character, I mean, it's all there. She's showing up on time. She's kind and generous and uh, evidencing, you know, some whatever basic knowledge you might, you might throw at her before class. Okay, so most anybody can pull that off, but... It's, it's definitely there. There have been some, some experiences with teachers like this who can't pull that off. So that's kind of a something to note. During class, you're looking for strong, strong, strong direction. And in the training, as I recall, I said I never, I never had much interest uh, in teaching anybody, and I still really don't. One of the things that I recall is that for each pose that uh, you are calling, you should give three cues. That's minimum. That is bare-ass minimum. If your teacher is not coming around and giving, because you're the new guy, uh, if you need, you know, you don't necessarily want to talk, I don't want to talk, I don't want to divert the attention of the class or break up the flow or try and raise my voice over if there's music or something, if we're 10 minutes into the class and she's letting you struggle, I, you know, sure, finish the class, do your best, but start looking at the website, at the biographies, and go deeper. Does this person train in other places? Do they go on these retreats? Have they been at this for... The number of years doesn't matter. I've run into some pretty damn fine, you know, young uh, teachers. And with maybe only a couple years of experience. They're just, you know, they're more gifted. They're like any other realm. They're a little bit smarter. They're a little bit, they have a little bit more energy. They put a little bit more work into it. Claudia um, did all of that and then much, 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 much more. You know, she is bringing in a lot of the central nervous system stuff 
the stress management stuff, various other healing modalities were, are all available to her. And you will find that with a lot, a good number of teachers anyway, um, are dabbling or, you know, that maybe they are a massage therapist on the side or um, maybe they're um, a physical therapist or a nurse or this taking care of themselves is, is a, like a calling, you know, it's um, a, light, a way of living. Most every instructor worth a shit was a female. I understand there are a few out there that are pretty good. I never had one male that was um, memorable. Uh, that's not true. There was one guy. There was one guy who, who was also a martial artist and, um, you know, pretty, pretty confident and in himself. So, you know, put the pieces together. Um, it's, it's probably not likely, but it's possible. Anyway, and other things you're looking for are a sort of narrative flow to the class, a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, the intensity, if we're talking about heated vinyasa, power flow type yoga, uh, is going to be there, you know, about five, ten minutes in, it's going to start to kick up. You're going to be sweating. Your teacher should be constantly from really the beginning to the absolute last moment of that class cueing your breath. And this is why I'm talking about yoga now, because I found tons of benefits from yoga. I, if uh, COVID was a little bit different, I would be actively seeking out some classes now. I have gotten to the point where I can manage a lot of this without um, a trainer. It's still, there's something valuable about being able to simply submit to the directions. You're not having to think everything through. You know, the responsibility and the burden is on this, this person who's being paid to remind you to breathe as you move. And so as that stress of the heat, um, you know, there's very little kind of social or interpersonal stress involved. Most people are not looking around. It's kind of too hard to do that. And if you, you know, go take one class from one good teacher and uh, tell me if it's not difficult. It's pretty difficult. Um, I was recruited into D Division One sports beginning as a sophomore in high school, and I've been doing one type of physical activity or another, you know, since then. I'm pushing 46, and uh, um, it's it's gonna if it's done right, it's gonna hit you very hard in a way that you have not been hit before. Um, you know, martial arts, um, weightlifting, sports of all types, endurance, uh, strength training, I've done all of that. Nothing hits you quite like this. And that post that I referred to, prepare to perform, is sort of suggesting in, in one of those lines that one aspect, one benefit of this sort of training is that you are going directly to the wall and 
you're finding where your limit in terms of as close as you can probably without a whole host of um, you know medical monitoring devices which I don't want I don't want around me I don't want any of that I don't I don't foresee that being part of most people's lives you don't need it these types of classes and this sort of work will take you right up to that line and a good teacher is going to have abs like it's sort of different than because maybe it's so female dominant dominated there's there's really no stigma in backing backing off one no one's probably going to notice two you the the onus is on you to control the level of intensity upon which you're operating um so In the exercises that I provided at the end of the last episode, I think that I was maybe a bit hasty because I brought, you know, a lot of things like you know them well, sometimes you, you, you sort of make assumptions. And I think one of the assumptions was in, well, there was probably several, so I'll kind of go over it, go over it quickly again. Being in a yoga class, a heated class, is very much like being in a sauna. It's generally about 100 to 100 and maybe like 98 to 105 degrees. You're, you're dumping sweat. There's a puddle of sweat under you and everyone around uh, after an hour or an hour and a half class. You're, you're forced to focus on your breath because that's the only thing that will get you through sheer uh, muscular power. I've been in many classes where a yoked dude walked in and walked out after maybe 20 minutes to a half hour. Okay, everyone in that class knew it was not because he had an appointment to go to. It was because he miscalculated what he was getting into. And what he got into was an engagement directly with himself, his ability to handle stress. If you ever go to a public sauna, say at a gym, it's, it's on absolute display for you what's going on there. If people are training for a type of endurance related to stress, they can handle very uh, regularly, let's say 180 degrees for 15 minutes. 20 minutes is probably going to be pushing it. Um, if you've got a fat dude in there or dude's just getting started, they are going to be dragging ass out of there if they make it 10 minutes. And there's a huge leap between 10 and 15. It's not just 50% more it's like you just got sapped uh, the gas tank just went empty and so what are you going to do and therefore you know if you do go to a sauna it's another really good time to work on breath work because those stress responses physiological stress responses are going to be very very accessible particularly if you if you worked out before 
um, you've kind of relaxed you probably have that condition like most of us do like ah, oh, the workouts over the hard parts over I get to go about the rest of my day um, good for me and then you are being hit with another moment and again probably worth pointing out some saunas you get in it's 110 degrees that's nothing that's not what we're looking for we're looking for maybe 170 180 um, I've not gone much higher than that and I've not gone much farther than say 20 minutes and that's plenty because this urge to urinate or defecate to which I referred defecation is probably not likely you can play around with that just laying in your on your couch and doing breath hold ac- exercises full inhale full exhale always through the nose compress your core um, this is another aspect that these core power um, and vinyasa flow type classes very very good for your core most of this stuff was really designed for middle age and aging women to put their bodies together that's um, that's a big component of it the guy who started core power admitted as much and um, I think he was kicked off the board for for saying it or something like that he's passed away so hopefully I'm not um, denigrating his his legacy or his soul I don't mean to do anything like that I'm just saying that was the truth and it was highly successful um, I don't know what that company is worth but it's nationwide and it's not going anywhere and he you know he happened upon a recipe so if the core we haven't really touched on it much but it's absolutely crucial and even you know uh, guys who are in good shape you know a lot of that if you say oh you know that guy's in very good shape he quote posted physique if his core is not um, very toned you know well you you and everybody else assumes he's got some work to do because he does and I don't know if this is a case of you know physiognomy or, or what but it's absolutely the truth I keep saying this absolutely the case but it is that your core is a hundred percent essential and if if it has the slightest hitch if it has the slightest weakness your performance is suffering and the, the core is not it's it's pretty um, I would say it's you know squat form is kind of a, a science as well so I don't necessarily need to compare but say there's a fair bit to it when you start considering the that lumbar spine and the this quote natural curve and then you get up to the thoracic where most of the time if you're doing crunching type of stuff you know that both of those are involved and most of the time my opinion is that this these some of these contortions and distortions that affect as this quote um, for this 
prepare to perform post um, indicated and their, their other recent posts about the diaphragm um, this is all interrelated so if you've got core issues meaning the obliques are asymmetrical wildly asymmetrical everybody's um, asymmetrical to some degree that's just a fact that the more yoga you do the more you'll realize most of your problems are coming from this side or this side or that you know this hip or or the shoulder and the other one's actually much stronger than you thought it's a strange you know compensatory feature of uh, of the human body and you know there's this um, sort of sheath of muscle that's going around say from your belly button all the way around through your back it's not one giant sheath but there's an interwoven sheath and then you have this six pack and where those attach are directly related to your your diaphragmatic control and so they're directly related to whether or not you have breathing dysfunction and if you have breathing dysfunction you are compounding whatever trauma you have already experienced in life one and you are setting yourself up for diminished performance at least if not um, steering off the road at some point into a health crisis so going back to the good teacher probably everything that I've said and much 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 more is fully accessible to my friend my former instructor Claudia and the point being here do not settle for some some pretty face who can call out the numbers for an hour anybody can do that we want constant cueing of the breath and we kind of left this on the table so I'll return now to say this is like Pavlov you're 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 most likely going to be trained in what they call Ujjayi I don't have any idea how to spell that Ujjayi breathing sounds sort of like this I don't know that that's at all audible, but essentially what you're doing is you're pull, you're moving the drag of air uh, coming from your sinuses, from your nasal uh, cavities, farther down your throat. So you're getting this audible kind of, and on the exhale, and that itself is a training tool. Where if you're doing it right. You know, you will find yourself unconsciously slipping into that at times when your body is beginning to, again, adjust to the conditions of stress and the environment around it. The goal ultimately, I think there's, there's higher levels that I've um, sort of been trying to point to. I hopefully we're, we're pointing at them where 
um, once the um, the conscious competency arrives you you understand that it's not done it's just begun and that that was like all the work was put in so that yeah you have an unconscious basis for this that your diaphragm, your core, um, is working in conjuncture with your posture, ultimately to lengthen your life and avoid um, a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering, but also to navigate the social and political landscape that we all are having to navigate and, you know, make wise choices out of that and not let the other person, the other, um, your enemy, you know, your, whoever, whoever we want to label as the enemy, the threat, they don't get to make the choices that, you know, in defensive sort of, um, carry training, this is, this is repeated ad nauseum, right? The bad guy gets to choose the time of, of the assault. Um, I don't know that, that, yeah, sometimes that's true, but that's not the case all the time. We make choices that lead us into situations, and we make choices that determine our future to one extent or another. Um, so, I think that now we're at the point where, you know, the second exercise where we... I was, I was suggesting that, you know, you're postulating, I'm postulating that we have an opportunity through these type, developing these types of disciplines to start seeding into reality um, our own will. I'm not sure if that's, that's probably accurate enough for now. Um, under, if you can control your environment long enough to drop into this alpha state and you can calm the central nervous system such that you can get a grip to observe your own thoughts and begin to realize how much of them are not even your own thoughts is the key point you know we have all we are all subject to propaganda we have all been indoctrinated much, much of our um, default assumptions and the way that we operate, they weren't really done with a whole lot of thought. Some of that is one of the major gripes from the good right is, you know, back to E. Michael Jones, this barren world, this slaughter of cities, slaughter of cultures, slaughter of the ancestry, um, the wisdom habits which probably extend down to literal breathing habits that we rightfully should have inherited um, from our parents grandparents and extended family and which we did not and this kind of brings us full circle I hope to where we're at now as mostly men who are mostly responsible for others children wives loved ones etc um, in my 
humble opinion, taking full responsibility makes all this stuff kind of a no-brainer. Um, so we'll set that aside for now. Okay. Um, to finish up on these two exercises, so we're 100% clear, because I have a tendency to, as I said, make assumptions about things related to you know what we know or what we don't know. If you're doing the sauna type exercise or just the breath hold exercise and you're verging on this point where, okay, I've held my breath so long that I'm about to piss myself. Don't piss yourself unless you have to, which is fine um, if you do. But the reason for this is you're going up to this very base reptilian level response that's overriding it's like it's challenging you you know the conscious human the body is and this to me is kind of the point mind over matter you're retraining the body and then you're going to calm it afterwards which is part of the shower um at least for me after a tough sauna or you know after a yoga class that cold shower is borderline divine um, what you know what you've managed to do is go right up to the wall and hopefully gently because you can have you know if you push anything too far uh, you can have a problem so you're, you're approaching it with a type of reverence, but also a sternness, and you're moving, you're just moving beyond a limitation. Like, we can sit around wherever in therapy, online, and talk about this shit, but if you want to do it, this is how you do it. Because you can't orchestrate, like in training, you know, we can only orchestrate the real fight. We can only, again, Craig Douglas, fantastic steps in that direction, it only goes so far, right? So in gaining true endurance that relates to trauma, that relates like to truly tragic, horrific things. Yep, some people can muscle through it. Most people, as Jordan Peterson points out, make the tragedy, the trauma worse because that's all they know how to do because they're in fight or flight so they're either fleeing it fuck this, I'm out, I'm dissociating myself from this ultimately that that won't, you know, you're shirking your duties as a grown ass man with kids which again I think that's most of the audience even if you're not you're probably leaving stuff on the table in one way or another and to actually I think that to say that this is spiritual should be kind of obvious. However, it may not be. So, if we have a physiological response that's like pissing our pants or puking or passing out, we have tons of them, um, or running, you know, or shitting ourselves, that it, that's going to keep us from our duties, our duties, well, 
that may be acceptable. I'm not, you know, I am not in a position to judge people. I'm an, I'm in, I am in a position to judge myself. And I judge myself that that's not acceptable. There's an opportunity to push a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. Maybe in five or ten years, um, that boundary, the, the total amount of stress or the intensity or amplitude of that stress that I can take on my shoulders or think through um, has expanded. And there is um, incredible value to that. And there's also a direct tie for me, again, it's Orthodox Christianity and it's carrying the cross. For other people, I can't tell you what what that might be, but, um, you know, it may be just simply spiritual. Okay, Um, that's fine. And uh, this will work with that, too. Um, Generally, I think that when you do enter these realms, um, without the superstructure of truth underlying it you're not going to believe it so you're only going to go so far and it will ultimately be physical and a lot of the kind of integrated benefits mental physical and spiritual in terms of sacrifice for others is it i think there's a synergy there because i think this is where we're starting to approach again Reality, moving out of the spectacle, moving out of the matrix, stretching our mold to as paper thin as we can and using what remains of our time and our, our, our diminished you know, will as, as human beings in modernity to, um, to some good end. that's I think if there are still questions after that you know please ask because I would hate to I would hate to try and lay all this out and then have anybody like what the fuck is he talking about I'm I'm just simply talking about pushing your body to an uncomfortable place to expand like similar the way weights work your capacity to with to withstand stress it's really kind of as simple as that it's just a little weird Um, so speaking of weird and uh, I'm going to amend my my notes here because we're probably probably getting uh, you know close to two hours so I'll keep I was going to go into doomsteads and mobility I think that's a longer talk, um, which might be good to to bring up with somebody like LaFond anyway. Um, And I'm going to refer back to here at the end to building Batman. I really like this concept. Um, The forum that it grew out of, I spent some time on that forum, not a lot, but... um, this is this is right in line 
And um, in building Batman, you know, we've got breath work. We're going to get to death work. These are hopefully just my, you know, humble contributions. There's vast libraries of stuff from ShivWorks and many other guys. Ed, um, we could go through a whole list. Um, maybe that would be fun to do. Guys I've trained with, um, guys that you have trained with. But um, the legal aspect of building Batman, you know, is is something that maybe uh, Quintus Curtis, um, you know, could help us with. I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to be a lawyer. And what I'm about to suggest is um, is a theoretical idea. I'm not saying I, I'm not. Let's say I'm not admitting that I've done this, and I'm not exhorting you to do it. I'm saying it's an exercise that that is very useful. So. Basically, what it involves is um, going out at odd hours doing odd things in odd places, which, you know that old um, Farnham or somebody said it, don't do stupid things with stupid people in stupid places. Very good advice. I'm not exactly um, suggesting or that this exercise goes against that, but it it it's a next uh, one. It's a judgment call whether you need it, whether you can pull it off, whether it will be helpful, and. Um, I think Ed would approve. I think Ed Calderon would approve. But essentially what it is, is just going out in your environment at night with limited tools. I am, again, not 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 necessarily going to... I guess I could admit that if I had done this, I guess I could. Let's just say here we'll do it like this. Theoretically, let's say, for the sake of imparting this, communicating it, let's just say I've, d- I've done it and um, I still do it. If you live in a suburban environment, it's pretty, e- it's, I think it's probably easier, but it's, it's probably more intense as well. If you live in a rural environment, this could be very hazardous. So you may want to recon- you know, adjust accordingly. And if you live in an inner city environment, choosing the time, the day, say Friday night at, you know, three in the morning would be very different than a Thursday at 7 p.m. So you'll have to make the call and find at what place do you actually start to become a little uncomfortable? Do you have legitimate cause to be uncomfortable? And then weighing that risk against the benefit. Also, clearly the location is is important. So you're finding, as with everything, 
you don't walk into the gym on your first day of lifting and throw up three plates to just to see what happens similarly don't drive to um, downtown Chicago and you know pull off at the exit that has the most trash and um, hip-hop music audible from your car and then ditch your carry piece and then you know ask your wife to pick you up at the next next exit unless that's already your environment that's not going to be if you're Paul Sharp that's his environment probably even then he might think this is not a good idea even for training purposes but you're trying to find um, a level of intrusion into other people's turf that's where you have a pretty good shot a you know 95% shot of getting through unscathed um, meaning you're not going to get killed or maimed. You might get caught. If you get caught entering someone's, you know, yard in, in the suburbs or um, turf in the inner city, again, and, and then rural, I mean, these are all very different consequences. So you could add night vision, um, and you can work in increments, which is what I would very much suggest were I theoretically saying that I've done this um, or do this and have found great benefits from it. Um, if you do go with night vision, it's going to bring up, and you get caught, the question of why the fuck are you here and you have night vision? If you don't, you know, you're going to reap you're going to lose the opportunity to train with your knots, but you're going to gain something else. What are you going to do if you don't have your knots? What are you going to do if you don't have a flashlight? What are you going to do if you have the wrong shoes? On and on and on. So all of the variables, um, hopefully there's no 22-year-old kid who's never trained with professionals who's who didn't hear me on my... Um, my caveat that I've never done this and I'm not suggesting you do it that goes out and, and does this shit it's, uh, it's a thought exercise if nothing else so we're thinking that you're you know you're in a suburban environment and you stand a pretty decent chance of a really decent chance excuse me of not being shot but also being able to escape if there is an issue like you do get caught what happens if you just run? Someone catches you in their yard and you just run. I don't know. That's going to that's gonna vary from place to place. The point is probably not to get caught. Probably not to get seen. So you're probably going to have to adjust every single aspect of what you think you're capable of to this absolutely crucial component of not getting caught. You might make it one yard over if you live in the suburbs and you get one yard and that's too far. You might, um, as a variable, like I said, have your wife or a buddy drop you off and meet you at some other, you know, on the other side of a neighborhood or the other side of um, a forest. One other variation that I absolutely have done is 
gone out into the woods alone and navigated on foot from one point to another, which is quite, you know, by yourself, it's quite a different thing than doing it with um, a team. And, uh, you know, personally, it wasn't so much a navigation exercise as it was um, an exercise in finding my own limitations in any particular area of operations. Um, I think that for those of us who were not in the military, you know, we have, in terms of mold again, we have a certain set of assumptions about our capabilities, and those who were in the military likewise have another set. And we also have personal risks, liabilities, etc. And it may not be, you know, the gain here may not be, well, I, I walked away with a, a better picture of, of how this area of the woods looks that you know, comes up against my neighbor's property and um, I noticed this type of natural activity at this time. That's all fine. That's, that's great. Um, but it's not really the goal. The goal is to find a point where you feel like you are transgressing. I notice I did not say trespass, though trespass is a type of transgression, I suppose. So factor that in. You're finding, just in the same way that you're finding this point where you're about to piss yourself under a controlled uh, circumstance, we're looking for a place where you're about to piss yourself metaphorically in an uncontrolled or less controlled circumstance. Keep in mind that outside of some really hot sort of dangerous areas, even let's just say downtown Portland, again, this is my home. I literally have ancestral memories from this place. I have absolutely zero hesitation of being dropped in the absolute worst part of downtown Portland right now uh, with, I'd probably just prefer to go without weapons because the most dangerous thing that could happen in Portland is that you have a legal encounter and then you have to go up against the corrupt Justice Department. Again, something to factor in this theoretical discussion or um, monologue. But it that's my, that's my, you know, I don't live there. I don't really plan on going back there, but I know it like the back of my hand. I know what's kind of, if you will, possible there. Um, and yeah, one danger is I could be wrong. Um, and that's part of the, part of the consideration, the set of considerations in an exercise like this. The talk is, or the, the quote is to become a criminal of purpose. And the question then is, if we're building Batman, so to speak, well, how do you do that without being a criminal? And I do not believe that it can be achieved in training. Because 
I could be wrong. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that it's possible, but you couldn't advertise it. I'm not, I have not attended Ed's classes. I would like to go to um, participate in one he has called Urban Movement, which seems to brush up against this, the idea in this exercise. And I think I've, I, Ed has definitely quoted this, this Musashi idea to become a criminal of purpose. And there's nothing wrong with learning to pick locks. I've, I think I've used it twice just in the past uh, year or 18 months. Um, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's all useful information. We know this, and we, we have ideas of when it might be useful. Um, and I'm suggesting that probably the most useful time is not when you're a cop and you can just whip out your your pit kit and go in and save a child which everyone's going to congratulate you for anyway what i'm suggesting is is that how do you achieve this in a world that is filled with actual risk right now how do you because if you need to become a criminal of purpose in what i think we should make a theme here you know three weeks or the next three years and your children the the lives of your children or your spouses your family your, your loved ones they depend on this and you don't already have experience with it how are you going to do that you're not just going to use the one tool you're not just going to pull out the AR and get it done what happens uh, when you have a squad and you have all this, but things change. I Again, I don't really think that many people foresaw the type of oddity that we're in right now. So what is there to suggest that one of us is going to predict the next level of oddity, of bizarre? And this is definitely a place where if you guys have input, I want to know about it because I'm not, you know, there's a few things where I guess I could try and use the word expert. Novelist might be the only one and that might be the most con uh, contested one, you know. Um, so I am not suggesting, uh, you know, and I, I'm not going to gain much from that really. So this would be an area where I kind of want it to be a theme. Um, Ed, Paul Sharp would have an, a very interesting take on this. He might have limitations on it too. Ed, uh, given the cultural, uh, the bicultural nature of his existence right now, might have you know a very interesting take on it. Um, I actually think that the, my friend, who spent a lot of years in a lot of suffering and a lot of pain on the streets is going to have some very interesting things to say about this. And it comes up against this other area as well, like our own internal compass, you know, our morals and ethics. And how are those, how do you flex them? Should you flex them? Which brings us right up against, you know, the conversation between pagans and Christianity and the Christ cucks and, and all these sorts of things, which as a guy who was not raised as a Christian at all, who was raised very much um, 
to be, uh, you know, a materialist, uh, optimistic spiritualist or something like this in, in Vanderclay's terms, but wound up finding truth in the Orthodox Church, I see a lot of room for this type of discussion probably pretty quickly because as 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 we hear all the time in in uh martial arts and various training circles you're not going to be, uh rise to the occasion i think they add on that you're going to sink to like your lowest level of competency but whatever the formulation the the truth is evident stark and this kind of fantasy that we all share that the events which are rolled out before us in time, our fate, are going to line up with those areas of technical accomplishment to which we've devoted resources, time, money, ego, identity, is extremely dangerous. And adding a component of flexibility physical through the yoga um, mentally through the breath work and you know as I as I say my version of looking at it this the what I've wound up with is the mold as a way to examine my own limitations and my own where does my responsibility lie what participation am I still taking in building up that uh, that resistance and and how can I make it more flexible all these things seem to um, converge in some way and so I hope that um, you guys will have some feedback and that I hope that you know, this was, was of interest as, uh, again, a totally theoretical, incredibly risky and silly way to, to go about uh, gaining certain experience that um, may, may be pretty critical at some point in your life. So until next time, take care.